Bienvenido, and welcome back to the Elsewhere Podcast. My name is Ian Ditchburn, and this is the third of my interviews I recorded in Mexico. And believe me when I say that this is an example of my podcast at its best. If the purpose of this show is to burn into wave files the authentic experience of traveling, then my guest today, Kanga, is the epitome of of the crazy, intelligent, beautiful people that you only ever seem to meet traveling. It was recorded in probably my favorite region of Mexico, Chiapas, and features in large part our discussion of the Zapatista movement, a indigenous rebel movement located in Chiapas. Now, I think there's a temptation with anyone who visits this part of the world with sort of journalistic intentions to to want to cover the Zapatista movement. It's fascinating, but it's also something you have to remember is an ongoing rebel group. And there are certain government powers in Mexico that are constantly looking for insights into how the group operates and ways to subvert it, to shut it down. So while this is something that we talk about, it is the result of me building a relationship with this person over several weeks, and I really wouldn't want to encourage anyone going down there, and even with the best intentions, poking their noses in something that involves the safety of people's lives. So with that in mind, I would like to introduce you the guest for today's podcast by his true name, Kanga. We're gonna play you in with a little bit of music. It is a song that I have been smiling, listening to since I first heard it in Mexico. It is called Babylonia by Morodo. No tiene nada que pactar, automatas son en la ciudad Como robots anda todo el personal, jornada laboral A fin de mes cobrar, pagar todas las rentas y vuelta a empezar Y así disfrutar de tu no libertad Y delincuente tú serás por fumar ganja Y busca tú una novia que te sepa cocinar y planchar Y sea buena para guiar Porque qué más da lo que puedas opinar Si la vida ya está programada Va a preparar y se ya recibe bofetas, ese es el plan. Hoy le vienen a mirar. Escribimos 
una vida y nunca pare de pagar la la Pues vivimos en Babilonia No hay nada mejor que la gran ciudad Again. Pues vivimos en Babilonia Beso a lo tuyo y que le jodan a todos los demás Pues vivimos en Babilonia Bájate los pantalones, todo va a empezar Ya viene la ley y viene el juez y viene todo lo que no querés Acá en Babilonia las cosas son no como crees y como ves Resístete y defiéndete que nada te haga enloquecer Lucha contra el sistema, ven con el microphone, checa aquí Pues vivimos en Babilonia Estamos controlados y esa es la realidad Me quieren callar, no lo van a lograr Yo sigo mi camino junto a Selassiei El león de Judá, cuídate de mí desde allá No me pueden ver Con planta prohibida lucho como espada No me afectan sus normas, al menos sus palabras Yo desaparezco, habrá cadabra Vuelo con las alas que me da la cancha Lucho contra lo oscuro y mi alma se salva Aguanto winda party hasta que llega el alba Y si suena tu alarma, mantén la calma Que las normas las marca Siempre el que manda, tú manda en tu vida No seas suicida, no sigas la corriente Como la hace la mayoría en Babilonia Perfecto en el que no hay lugar para la sabiduría Pues vivimos en Babilonia Comprate una vida y nunca pares de pagar la la Pues vivimos en Babilonia No hay nada mejor que la gran ciudad Pues vivimos en Babilonia No es solo a lo tuyo y que le jodan a todos los demás Pues vivimos en Babilonia Babilón So this, so this is just a little sound check we're going to do. One, two, three, four, five. What did you have for breakfast Teo, this morning? I had, um, I had a little bit of um, paper with <laughs> a little bit of um, uh, hashish. And then I had a uh, natoji before I found you guys. A good atole agrio. Wonderful. That was my breakfast, brother. Perfect. It sounds very, very <laughs> nutritious. Nutritious. <laughs> nutrition yeah. for the soul. Oh, yeah. Opening for the mind, good way of uh, beginning the day. <laughs> Finally, brother, I ready know. to go. We've been waiting for a long time to do this, so thank you for yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we finally managed to make the, yeah, the yeah. universe align to sit down and do this. Amazing. Because I, I first met you as a tour guide yep. in here in, in San Cristobal. Um, but as I've gotten to know you, I've, I've it, shortly it's become obvious that you have a lot more going on in your life than just that. Um, so to introduce you, your name is Carlos. That's yes, what you sort of go right. by. But you also have another name. Yep. This is my given name. My name is Kanga. And I got this name as a, the one that I really feel for a long, long time already. Kanga it is. So yeah, Carlos Kanga. That's me. 
And how did you get that name, if it's a given name? It, uh, it is a given name um, since I was a very, very little boy. And um, it's like, um, let's call it only my spiritual name. And uh, I come from, um, from a family uh, with a lot of people having this kind of a strange connection to the dreaming. And, and this is a name that is being shared to me as my spirit name for for a long time. Like, actually, I feel more Kanga than Carlos, to be honest, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carlos. Uh, funny thing is, Carlos was the name of my f- uh, first mother, my mother's first husband, and it was given to my father because my father's father's was Carlos as well. So you see how this Carlos name from the beginning of the way it was given to me was just not the right name to me. It was a, a name of a different impulses of my father and mother uh, into the ways of their own lying ways of relation. So I guess Carlos is a name that is going to be rejected to my, through my soul all my life. Kanga, Kanga is my truth name. Mm-hmm. And one other thing that's very true about you, and it's the, the reason that I decided to sit down and, and talk with you, within 20 minutes of going on this, this walking tour, it was very obvious that you possessed a very innate capacity to captivate people's attention. Where do you think you learned to be like that? I think it's not only learned, I think it was given. What do I mean? Uh, learned directly from my mother that was an actress. Um, my mother was a, a catastrophic, chaotic, incredible actress. And into her ways, I kind of learned from her everyday ways, every meeting we attended, every family meeting, her ways of um, being. But I kind of just absorbed them naturally, I guess. She was an incredible joke teller. and. Uh, also a, a very cynical person talking about her life. She would tell you as a joke, or in the tone of a joke, the most terrible things that we were actually living. But people would not believe she was truth. We were in a family meeting. How could this be truth? So people would be just laugh. And she would tell them, no, 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 no I'm, not, I'm not joking. This is truth. And they would laugh harder. And I kind of learned from life, there was not such a big difference between the most terrible things and the most hilarious things into our perception since we were very little. So that was given from my mother. I learned it from her, but also from my sign of birth into the Mayan symbology, Maya theology symbols, understanding of the stars and our connection to them and our energies I am cat, which means I am um, I am a spider, and and naturally my energy of white wizard and um, and and spider get together to create the net that connect us all to be very happily hanging out, literally. You know, like I make that net, I just create it, and we all find it. Um, so I think in one side is my energetic nature and the other side 
is my humanized learning into what was Carlos back on the days. So talking about humanized learning, obviously the place where you grow up inevitably has a big impact on who you end up being. So maybe for some people who have never been to Mexico before, how would you sort of define the, the character of this country? <laughs> That's very interesting. So Mexico, uh, from Tijuana to, to Chiapas, will show you so many different faces, identities, um, developments, um, problems in Mexico you find in Mexico City today um, will be similar to the one you find in Monterrey, Guadalajara as cities. But also the Guadalajara you find today could be reflecting the Mexico City of 100 years ago or 70 years ago. What I'm saying, there is a temporary growing in all the Mexico country. And then if you take all Mexico country with what is today more than 100 million people and you loop in to the center of it where once we had the big Tenochtitlan of the Mexicas and you have today Mexico City, today called CDMX, an absurd name uh, that is given today for it. Mexico City, Tenochtitlan, this is the land, my brother, of a lot of different cultures that used to be focused in this territory of massive fighting of territory, land, cosmogony and connection. So when you take this place and you look into it through the travel of time, you will see that many of these identities survive into different neighborhood behaviors and that we have as many Mexico cities as neighborhoods we have. And I was born and raised in many different ones, many con contrasting ones. I can be as Xochimilca, as Cuapa, as Acoxpa, as Sureño, as many things as people want to define me from the home city. But I come from a poor side of Mexico City. I come from a, um, a one that was growing from poor to, to mid-class. And when you have this between 20 million people, you have a very heated, a very heated competition uh, that will involve not only education and languages, but it will be involving also aggressivity and survival capacities, no? uh, also from what is your family. So my neighborhood was not the best one. My neighborhood had a lot of uh, people drinking in the corners, getting uh, crack, getting uh, glue to smell all day long. My neighborhood had my own neighbors stealing car parts from the people that had cars in the same neighborhood. No, My neighborhood uh, was fighting the neighborhood in front to see who was more powerful in terms of gangs and groups and drugs. So I come from a very, very moved and shaked place. But at the same time, I come from a family, as I told you, of a lot of people that it's been connected to shamanism and spirituality. So in this side, I really have had the chance to be connected to another way of philosophies, of cosmogonies that represent the color of my skin and, and the corn in my food that represent the ancestrality of my culture. 
So I think that this context of violence, chaos, murderer, disappearing, uh, people, um, mythology, legends of spirits that are kidnapping the children that disappear from my neighborhood, uh, little men from the woods that take them away from their families. All of this mythology created the mind that I live with and that I have um, projected in the walking tour and that I have projected to my daughter and to my friends. You know, this is, yes, this is uh, where I come from, uh, which doesn't precisely mean that means that I, it's completely who I am today. You know? It's just the place that I departed, this crazy, fucked up, violent neighborhood of Mexico City, you know, with very cool people, very charming people, but also very dangerous people. Yeah, I think in a context like that, you kind of have to learn to be charming, to survive, mm -hmm. to make the experience of, frankly, poverty growing up palatable. We all have to be a little bit, not necessarily nice to each other, but interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you, you will need to figure um, not only to have a story to tell, but the right story to tell, the one that someone wants to hear. Uh, it, is also, it is also a little thing that I learned from my mother, you know, like when she was performing, when she was doing their theater, many of her plays would work and many of them would not. They would just definitely not connect to people because they were not human enough. Uh, because they were talking about very banal shit. And every time she would go into a deeper matter, into a deeper subject that connect us to who we are, as for example, fear, no? Then I would see the people reacting when it was uh, into rejection, infidelity, these kind of troubles, chaotic troubles of life. Then people would draw their attention, no? So I noticed that many of the stories of the world are there, bestsellers here, bestsellers there, but the ones that are truly attracting us are the ones that make us feel human, that make us to remind the truth search of this existence um, and the chaos of that searching. No? So yeah, I guess that was also something from my mother and the context that, that gave us birth. No? But it doesn't define us, it, it just defines who we were, where we started the context the rest is your own choice every single day so that search for meaning i understand and we haven't really talked about this before but you've you've alluded to your trips to other countries how did exiting the context of mexico and exploring other parts of the world how did that change your way of thinking i reckon the first thing you're going to find when you start traveling is this concept of the other that defines who you are all the things that will be weird, uh, rare, different from who I am defines also who I am. The concept of, I don't know if this is a word in English, otrity, otredad, this other person that is not me. And when you start traveling, you think everything is different and everything is going to be dramatically um, opposite to who you are and what you think. 
And then you start traveling and then you find that there is young people with the same issues everywhere, with the same rejection of the father, with the same lack of love, with the same lack of security. No matter if it was with someone dealing out of your door or with your own father being upset next to your room. But everyone has a, a level of insecurity to approach and to figure. And then a universe of nightmares to deal with. We all are humans in the same ways. But also, I noticed that when I was traveling, all these places I tell when I'm traveling in Mexico and doing nature, and tell them, hey, look at this volcano. This is so unique. And only in Mexico you find this volcano with these characteristics. And then you travel around and you find that in only La Palma, Spain, you have seven volcanoes. And a couple of them looks like the one just said, there is no many in the world, only in Mexico. And then you realize the world is ours, ours from, from one side to the other. And, and, and there is this ridiculous concept of nationalism and identity. And it's ridiculous today for me, but when I was on my 20s, I was before my 20s, on my 50s, 15s, 20s, I was very ready to die or kill for this concept that I am Mexican, that I am the neighborhood, that I am a dangerous man, no? We are so committed to these characters that we forget <laughs> we are from the world. And, uh, and farther from that, into deeper beliefs that I can have, that we are the same person, that we are the same spirit, manifested in a different human body, in a different dream. So I think traveling got me to figure the way to break who I was. When I finally left the danger of, or the danger of not being that pretentious Mexican, that pretending dangerous Mexican, in my neighborhood to survive or finding the ways to charm the dangerous ones so they can be my friends and I can use them in my favor. Without surviving in my life, I started living. And when I started living, I met people surviving in places where I thought everything was perfect. And it made me understand how similar we are. This moment for me will be very important for the rest of my life because it's going to conduce me to break my Mexicanity. And believe me, brother, today I'm, you were telling me before that, that you find me a very Mexican person, and I love that. But before that, back on the days, I was a ridiculous character. I was a ridiculous stereotype of Mexican masculinity. And that was harming me and everybody around me. So yeah, yeah, it's like a... traveling gave me this understanding that I needed to change into what I didn't know yet. I just needed a change. And the search for that change eventually brought you to where we're sitting now, which is Chiapas, oh, yeah. a very politicized region of Mexico, probably one of the favorite places I've ever been, certainly my favorite area of Mexico so far. How did you end up here? Well, first of all, I was like, um, um, I already had a few experiences of traveling. I already got a chance to have education in one incredible university of Mexico, which I kind of uh, didn't use in the best way. I just use it 
once again to survive. Um, but in this surviving, uh, I learned a lot from teachers, from people that was um, doing incredible courses uh, in the Tech de Monterrey. Uh, teachers like uh, Carlos Sola that would be talking about politics of the world and history of the world and uh, the times of Toqueville and the Medievo and this and that and opening the eyes of the abusements of whoever is in the power to the world. Teachers um, like, um, you know, Alfredo Cid Tenoch, that in that moment start teaching us about semiotic and the way that we use the symbols, icons, and, and how we use those, not only to create a culture, but to manipulate cultures. Um, having people like El Perro Massive, he was an incredible teacher. He was a bit crazy, I loved him. Telling you about the theory of the of the um, apocalyptic um, uh, creators of of, um, of theories, saying how media and communication were about to doom everything that we were creating because we were going to become a hombre masa, like a mass media person that will not question anymore, not think anymore, and just reply like monkeys, whatever the other one did, because it was popular. Does TikTok sound familiar? Fucking hell, man. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous where we want to place ourselves just to gain some popularity and likes in a web page in a world that doesn't even exist. All of these people of the university started opening my eyes little by little to figure that I didn't want to be part of this systemic world that defines how we birth and how we die and how we don't live life. I didn't want it. Media and communication studies in this university opened my eyes to say, fuck this, fuck my family, fuck Mexico. Fuck nationalism. I want to know about more of my spirit. I want to learn more of something that fulfills me. And then I met this other world. Mm -hmm. The rainy season has joined <laughs> us in the studio today. The blessing of rain. Yes. Hopefully it's more atmospheric. Lively. Because we're sitting here now and we're going to carry on. Um, so I know that specifically you ended up in Chiapas as a, as a means to join something called the Zapatista movement. Yeah. Maybe you could explain what that is, yeah. how you got involved in some of your experiences with them. To make it a, 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 like a, a very brief idea of what it is, the 1st of January of 1994, a group of indigenous people from the region of Chiapas will recover the ideals of Emiliano Zapata, Tierra y Libertad, land and freedom. Land is for the one that works the land, while it works the land. La tierra es de quien la trabaja. All these ideas of respecting the land and the process of production, and also respecting ourselves as indigenous people with our identity, uh, to stop the excess of abusement from the powerful institutions and refresh and give a rebirth and a protection from the constitution to the production of the fields and the farmers with the identity that comes with it. So the movement of Emiliano Zapata uh, that started or was in the times of the revolution of 1910 will rebirth in 1994 when Mexico is entering, ah, the thunder right there, 
Um, they rebirth in 1994 when Mexico enters the NAFTA trade. In this international commitment of development of economies, Mexico is going to have the worst face of all into the abusement to the natural resources, the indigenous population, and all their human rights, uh, from the basic to the most complex ones. You know? So this is what the movement of the Zapatistas in Chiapas is fighting for. Their people, their people, their land, their natural resources, and the right of owning the land where they live, without anyone telling them what to do with it, especially no one that cares a fuck for them, like the bad government that has been raping, killing, extortioning, kidnapping, and doing all the worst atrocities to these people, not for the last 30 years, but for the last 500. So this movement needs to be there. Chiapas needed, nature needed. And how did you first hear about this? Uh, I was watching in Guatemala, I was living there with my father that was from the army, check it out, he's, he's a Navy man. Uh, we were living in Guatemala and I was watching some boxing. This boxing gets interrupted and they're telling us this big news about the 1st of January of 1994, Chiapas, is under golpe de estado. They want to take the government for themselves, they say. This rebel group with uh, unknown intentions, but um, this one that is taking the government in their hands, are fighting the official forces and killing people everywhere around. That's what they tell us. That's what the news tells in Guatemala. Then, um, a few years, many years later, uh, I'm going to start reading about the movement of the Zapatistas. I just remember the impression it gave me that day. That they didn't look like uh, murderers and outlaws killing people. No. It looked like very small people with very long rifles fighting organized army with ammo and uniforms. That they looked like a resistance movement, like a revolution, because it was not agreeing the civil population. It was very defined, it was very clear, it was very strategic. Even as much as in the talking they want to endure what was happening, you could see in the images that they were selecting the worst of it, and even then, it was not as bad as they were saying especially with the ones of San Cristobal. Some others were a bit more violent, like the ones of Ocosingo. All of these images, I remember it just made a big impression to me. I felt I wanted to be part of it. Years later, uh, I get to read about it, I get to learn more about it, and I decide to come here and join the movement with Medicos del Mundo Suiza, Medicins del Monde Suisse, and they had a different sort of projects, and one of them was fighting tuberculosis. I get into there with a, a girlfriend at the time. We were sharing a lot of commitment and a lot of dreams. And for uh, many years, this project saved the life every year of more than 1,000 people 
that we're going to die of tuberculosis, a sickness that the government denies to exist. They say it's eradicated. And we saved every year 1,000 people. You can also imagine the ones we didn't save. All of these were part of the active actions that we were having into it, um, promoting the knowledge of the sickness, how to avoid it, how to prevent it, how to treat it on time, how to identify it, things that the government don't supply because for them it doesn't exist. These and many other things like poliomyelitis are supposed to be eradicated in Mexico. It's not. It's not. Walk around San Cristobal, walk around Chiapas, and you will see a lot of it. So uh, this is how I en ended up coming to the Zapatista movement. First of all, I saw it when I was very young. Then I do my studies. I kind of changed my mind to this understanding of the media and the manipulation they do to the people. And um, all the music as well, you know, Rage Against the Machine, um, Korn, uh, Radio Chaos, something from Mexico, Caifanes, uh, La Maldita, uh, uh, Victima del Doctor Cerebro, all of this music that is boiling on the 90s. Boys, if you're missing something today, it's a bit more of rock that will be making your blood boil a bit more. And you will be, be screaming more and being more aware of what is happening more than, you know, like... Pop music. Pop music. <laughs> um, this music got us into a need of consciousness and seek of justice, you know, rage against the machine. Zapatista. They are Zapatista. Sac de la Rocha has manifested himself as such for all this time. And as him... This rage, this digna rabia, this dignified rage emerged in Chiapas and was supported by Mexicans like me, but also by many Europeans of the world by then that were called the white monkeys. Hmm. Coming especially from Germany, Swiss, Italy, Germany and France, they will come to join the movement and with their ONGs they will support and give a big structure that we didn't have. These will be the golden moments uh, of the 90s and, and the 2000s. So monkey is another word for gorilla? Like gorilla... Yeah, gorilla, gor monkey, gor ape. Gorilla fighter. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I remember for me it was system of a down. Yeah, oh yeah, man. Talking about the Armenian genocide when I was about 12 mm. years old. That, that was, they were the key band for me that brought me into metal music yeah. and specifically politicized metal music. Talking about your, your work with the Zapatista movement, what was your relationship with, uh, with the government at this time? Because it sounds like for the most part, you're off, you're doing medical aid, mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to help people. What was the response like from the government? There was no response for the government. The only government, uh, in, how to say, relation we can have is through the fight of formal institutions like the Instituto Fray Bartolomé de las Casas, defending the human rights of indigenous people for so long, um, that is there with a pile as big as a room of demands from this, from this state to the UN, trying to give them shape, trying to give them a reason, a, a way to get there, to be heard at least. And 
later having not much answer. Uh, the relation with the government and the formal institutions is only mainly uh, to complain through these formal institutions of complaining, no? to fight legally. But there is no relation with the government anymore. Since um, the failures of the trade of San Andres on 98, this commitment of the government of try to help, support, respect the movement that never happened will be rejected. And the failure of San Andres is also the beginning of the true autonomy of the movement, the full rejection to any formal support of the government, any of them, even from um, institutional to out of them. Um, there is no relation with what we call the bad government, not at all. There is also no use, production uh, of drugs or alcohol inside the communities, so we don't give excuses to the government to break into them, to break into our little uh, autonomy. No? So there is no relation at all with the government. You will be thinking, well, then how is it possible that a few years ago, uh, Marichu was fighting to be the president of Mexico if you have no relation to the government? There were some special situations where for different reasons, the movement decides to make a different direct action. Uh, they are very questionable and we can debate them specifically, but there is a reason for each one of them. And that the Zapatista movement is trying their best to fear their own autonomy. This means also economically, productive. If they can reach a big amount of autonomia alimentaria, then we are in the other side. And this will only happen when we are growing our own food in organic ways, combining vegetables, combining fruits that will help each other to grow in the way that we traditionally had to grow. Notice monocultivos, not this Monsanto bullshit, but the way that we had before. These ones that we are now rendering with the organic brand, that is just a fair way to work with land. This is our mother. How are you going to treat her? How are you going to treat her? Are you going to go home now and, and get to your mom and tell her, hey, mom, take this line of coke. Now, like, give me your arm, get this freaking, uh, um, you know, heroin. And now let's go out partying. Hey, don't sleep. Let's go working. It's time to go. Hey, what are you doing? Are you tired? We need to run now. Are you going to treat your mother like that? Because that's what we're doing with our mother earth. We're rushing her into unreasonable stages of production. So the Zapatista people first is trying to reach an autonomy of, of, of feeding at the same time as a level of production and also um, merchandising of their production into the cities through something that is called uh, Cooperativa Zapatistas. This one exists in Mexico, and this one exists in the whole world. You will find them in Quebec, you will find them in Barcelona, you will find them in, in Berlin, you find them everywhere. Cooperativa Zapatistas are reforcing and supporting and helping the economy of the movement, also with a lot of donations of the world from different people that decide to have a bar supporting the, the, the Zapatista organizations. And in, this, in that case, they contact us. They tell us where they are, and they send what they can, as they can. That's why it's also very important when you're traveling in Chiapas, 
if you want to support the movement, to ask where these cooperativas are. Because everything you buy to bring back to Europe, everything you buy, you buy to be here, coffee, tascalate, corn, everything, you buy it in cooperativas. Sandals, hats, gloves, clothes, everything. So they are trying to reach an autonomy. That doesn't mean that they have it already. They also have created the formal institutions inside the communities, education, uh, health, media and communication, the joint of good government that rule in the communities. All of this is part of the complex, the very complex phenomenon of revolution that we have here in the southeast of Mexico. That attention A is not the only one in Mexico today. It's the one that I'm committed to, that I'm the one that I'm still working with, but it's not the only one. We have rebels in Guerrero, we have them in Michoacán, we have them in Veracruz, we have them in, in Colima, in Nayarit, we have them everywhere, and normally indigenous related. That's why when they tell me that Mexico was conquered, I ask them, is it really conquered? Because I still rebels, I still see rebel indigenous all around Mexico fighting for the same things they were fighting 500 years ago. You touched on something that I think is really important and inspiring when you're talking about questions of revolution. The power that comes with refusing to participate in a corrupt institution, refusing to interact with a government which you know, no matter what, is not going to want to work with you. It's a waste of time. Yeah. So instead you look internationally. Yeah. You look to the people, the good people of the world who want to help and you choose to cooperate with them instead. There's something very powerful about the Zapatista movement in that it seized power and legitimized itself by being self-evident. Yeah. We are ruling these areas because people want us to. We do not need the recognition of the government. In fact, we don't recognize the government. That's right. Something That's very right. powerful about that. That, that is, I think, uh, Michel Foucault, a god of the understanding of politics, um, homosexual, I think he was Swiss. Michel Foucault will give us the best explanation of this. He used to tell us that a way to negligate someone, a way to forget him, a way to erase him, uh, was killing, yeah, sure. But there's one more than is like that, but in life. And is denying, not recognizing the other one. Um, and this is madness. When people was placed into madness institutions, they were completely socially erased. So, we want to manifest ourselves as mad. We want to disappear from the face and the eyes of the government. And we reject them with all our hearts. And rejecting the institute power will instantaneously give you the power that you lost through them. When you reject the institution, you grow in yourself the power that you're rejecting. That will happen every time. Michel Foucault will always say oh, something else as well. Where there is oppression, there is resistance. And that is also one thing that you can find everywhere in the world. Look at all these assholes. Look at all these political, armed, powerful people with lots of followers oppressing, 
you will find resistance every single time. So we've talked a lot about the the modern ways that the movement exists, but obviously we're in Chiapas. This place has very deep roots. Maybe we could talk about some of the indigenous spirituality or ways in which that those ideas have survived and become a part of the movement. If we can find a meeting point of the Mayan culture as we understand it today, will be of course yes the language, but also one book probably that is very important called the Popol Vuh, the myth of creation of mankind, into which in this epic history between men and Shivalva, the afterlife gods, there is a, 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 an interaction that will give birth to, uh, to life, to humankind. In this book, they will tell us how the gods created the skies and the heart, the heart of the skies and the earth and the heart of the earth. And to divide them, they created the holy tree of life, Seva, that holds them apart. They talk about this division of skies and afterlife. They will tell you about a lot of gods. In the underground, 12 of them. 10 secondary, 2 principal. In the 13 skies, well, you cannot start understanding and imagining how many they are. But not only gods, but other mystical elements that will not be called gods, but energies, essences. This is where the cosmogony of the Mayan departs from. And then we have what the Mayan culture made with it, and the empires they grow in all this territory. Only in the high mountains of Chiapas, 13 different identities. And if we continue from Tabasco to, if you want to go all the way to Costa Rica, and then we find some of the groups that we can be defined as Mayan, then we're going to trip balls trying to figure something in common. I think what we can find in common, not only with Mayan, but uh, Tolteca, Mexica, and all the rest of the ones we have, is that they were no gods, but very humanized, powerful energies that represent what is surrounding us. The winds that we receive, if they're coming from the north, south, east, or west, there are different ones. And they are directed in my, not Mayan, but Mexica culture, to Ejecatl Quetzalcoatl. So if you can see, they are trying to find us into the most elementary feelings or expressions of nature, like the, like the, um, uh, what's the name? Um, in the morning, this kind of uh, ghosty environment that you get, like uh, the, the foam, mist. The, mist. the mist. Yeah, the mist is a spirit, uh, the rain, uh, the wind, the fire, the heat. Uh, there are many things that are talking to you. Is the gods or the elements talking to you? So as you can imagine, our ways of understanding life, gods are the spirit, do not match at all with the Catholic version that was given to us by evangelization. So our old ways survived through Catholicism and the little spots where they allow us to continue praying in our own way. 
because they are exotic enough or far away from their view to survive. Like Temazcal in Nipi, no? So this is the cosmogonies that embrace us. Some that do not understand death as the end of life or the beginning of an endless paradise where you sing and pray for Jesus for or God for the rest of eternity, which doesn't sound very attractive to me personally. If you give me the idea of heaven and purgatory and hell, I really don't know where I want to go. The three of them don't sound attractive to me. And then you give me the idea of afterlife for us and the way that life connects us to death at best, connected to life, and life and death together connect us to the breathing and the fisting and the, you know, enrichment of the big spirit that we all are, then it makes more sense to me. Every moment I suffered in this life. And what do I mean? We believe that this real life we call reality, this world, is not real, and we are dreaming. In this dream, I am you. In this dream, a major conscience is expressed in different bodies in million times all around the world to be dreaming and inhaling life, inhaling experiences from this illusion, from this universe, from this vibration that we are living as humans. But farther from this illusion of life, farther from this dream, we are all the dreamer. We are all the major conscience dreaming this fucked up universe. Sometimes when we ask ourselves, how is this fucking possible? How is it possible that fucking assholes are writing on the bombs? They're sending to children, I hate you, die. Die, motherfucker, I hate you. If they don't even know them. How is this fucking possible? Why is the reason for all this pain? Why is the reason for children to be killed, raped, murdered? I don't find it in a paradise. I don't find it in hell. I don't find it in purgatory. But if you tell me that all of this is just feeding the dreamer that is growing the conscience of the universe, then for me, I think I follow more. If you tell me that every single thing I have suffered is enriching my spirit to reach us, then it feels a bit more a suffering I'm willing to do. You know? When I understand that I am you and nothing that I do you can truly harm you but enrich us, then I'm happier to follow. And what is your relationship with plant medicine in these these realizations? Well, I think there is like the numbing medicine and I think there is a awakening medicine. I think that um, science today has made us too proud, make us feel like we are our own guts and that we can manage life and death and we can handle anything, no? Uh, they, I, I read not long ago that there was like a projection or a, or a plan of a head Transfusion? Uh, How do you say that? Transplant. Yeah. <laughs> I, had tra I heard about that <laughs> as well. Fuck, what? We're truly playing God here, guys. 
So this gives us and drives us into a big ego. And then uh, we have depressed children and we give them Ritalin. And we numb them for the rest of their life. Um, I think also there is another medicine that we have used for ages. This fight that we're having with the concept of drug and medicine is very recent. Um, it's not more than a hundred years that we've been having this shit. It's a way that we started fighting between countries, breaking democracies in Latin America. It's a way that the CIA started being the CIA that respected the institution in the world. Fighting drugs. But you know what? You know who's the best customers of the drugs of all Latin America? Well, I think you do know. And I'm sure the CIA agents of the US are pretty much enjoying much of the things they are confiscating. I'm quite sure, you know. What I'm trying to say is that the drug fighting is a concept created by the governments to once again make us fight each other. I'm not saying drugs are good in the way we are disrespecting them. I'm not saying that the cartels of Mexico are acting good doing the shit they're doing. I'm really opposing to it. I think medicine should be respected as we used to respect it when we were indigenous people talking our own languages. When it was not peyote, but hikuri. You know, when things had their own name, like Kalea Zacatechichi, or all these ancient names of medicines that drive us into the consciousness of understanding what we didn't understand. The ways of medicine and the labyrinth of the mind, the power of a question can be stronger than the conception of an answer. One thing I wanted to talk about, you have a tattoo of corn yeah. and a deer on your arm, and I know that I've heard you speak about it. It's, I know it's something that's very important to you. So maybe we could speak about that for a I'll while. I'll be very, very happy to share. So I come from a very, as I told you, very a mentally troubled family. Uh, my brother is a pilot. <laughs> um, a pilot? Yeah. He, in the army? No, in, a, in, in not commercial flights, but big airplanes. Uh, you know, like, uh, I, I come from a very uh, crazy family in very important positions sometimes, you know. But what I'm trying to say is that um, I came from this place when by the age of 16 I was already trying to spin around the highest points of a building, for example, in a corner. And I would make myself spin very drunk because I was kind of Catholic still by that time. And I felt if I killed myself, I would go to hell. And I was a bit scared of hell by then. Uh, today, probably from the three of them, I, my choice, no? Um, but by then I was scared and I didn't want to kill myself. I wanted to fall drunk, have an accident, you know? Um, this was the beginning of me to the worst destructive part of myself. It went from bad to worse. Uh, until the point I tried to kill myself a couple of times. After that, I met the medicine. That's the tattoo that you see in my arm. I have a deer with a peyote in the middle of it. Peyote, also known as hikuri, was the thing that changed my life from being an asshole to trying to be better and to recognize the person that I truly was and stop blaming the others for what I was not. Peyote was a life changer. 
I think Peyote Motion and Cannabis shame me from a violent, stupid asshole. Misogynist idiot to a person that is every day trying to fight that. I recognize my darkness and that helps me to know who I want to be. It's funny because I have that example in my mother and father. My mother was emotionally incredible. She was a blessed woman. My father was an idiot. Uh, by the end, he, he was regretting of what he was and he tried to change. And I respect him for that. But I come from the example of what I wanted to be and a clear idea of what I did not want to be. And I think the day I started using medicine, I had a clear idea of what I truly was. And knowing what I was, I see what I didn't want to continue being. So, uh, there is a two different ways to approach to medicine or drugs. One of them is in a very weak way evading life. And believe me, so much fun that you can be trapped in it for ages, not knowing where you are. It's fun, it's joyful, it's full of sex, it's full of pleasure. But it's absent of you. And there's another way to find yourself. I didn't take peyote to get loose. I took peyote to find myself. I take mushrooms to find myself. And that is why when I take them too many times and I don't reach myself, I take my mushrooms in the mountain alone in full darkness. And I spend the whole night there in a cave because I'm there to meet with me, to listen to me. So you cannot blame the medicine on the addiction that it provoked you. You have to blame yourself and your needs of love and your incapacity unca of working with. Because we all need love and we all feel rejected and we are all rejected. But you can work it consciously through love or consciously through pain. That's your decision. You cannot blame others or the medicine for it. And well, the corn, corn uh, in the Popol Vuh, although it is said that we were created, Mexicans, our body is not muscles. We are not made of meat. According to our mythology, our body is made out of corn. We are the children of the corn. We are the race of corn. Domesticated 4,000 years ago, in all the races that expresses today in corn, our lineage, our culture, our connection to the gods is manifested. It is said that my meat is corn and my blood is cacao. How cool is that? Yeah. That is why they are both elements of ritual, an element of purification. That is why it's part of our food, but also our identity. You know what we fear? What we don't know. You know what a lot of people, why a lot of people in the United States fear us in Mexico? Because they don't fucking know us. As soon as they travel for a month in Mexico, they don't want to leave back to the U.S. And I'm telling you this, all my redneck brothers from the U.S., come on over to meet your beaner cousins. Because you know what? We're coming from the same territory. And as far as we want to deny history, Mexico was in contact with Canada once upon a time. 
So we are coming from the same roots and our white privileged society has made you forget what you have in your veins because we were the same and we are the same. We are still the same. We speak a different language. We have different eyes, different color of hair, but we are still the same. And as we're saying, we're having the same troubles. The same government that is nailing you is nailing me. The same government that is denying you health and services and education is denying it to me and my daughter. The same people that is oppressing you is oppressing me. We are the same and they are constantly making the effort to divide us. For us, oh, you are the gringo. For you, oh, the fucking binner, the wetback. Don't we understand that these powerful words are just dividing us? You know what? In Mexico, we love to be beaners. We eat beans every fucking day, and we're not ashamed of it. So this doesn't really offend us. Let's break that shit they're telling us. People from Spain, we don't hate you in Mexico. Our shit was fucking 500 years ago. If you have a privileged life and you can walk through our humble world, respecting who we are, we will freaking love you. And we will share you the last cup of tamales we have in our house. Because it's not about money, it's about connecting. It's about loving and showing love. And maybe one day you will be back in Europe and someone knocks to your door and tell them, hey, I need work. I come from Chiapas. And you will remember that family that offered you that last tamal. And then you will open the door because you know there is no coincidences in the path and the walks of the big spirit. Everything has to be. So guys, open your eyes to your everyday experiences. Because if you would tell me that when I was young, all the rejection I felt from Mexican people was gonna make me grow a more empathy and love for people from outside and help me to go and travel the world to learn to come back to my people, to tell them how stupid we are rejecting the others, I would never believe it. If you would tell me that my family was rejecting me or that my neighborhood was killing us because I needed to understand things that later will be useful, I would not believe it in the moment. If you would tell me that all of my friends from childhood had to be killed or in jail, for me to tell you today that there is hope, I would not believe it. But I truly believe it with all my heart today. With all my heart today. So. Don't be embarrassed to be out there. Don't be embarrassed to ask for help. Don't be embarrassed to say I am wrong. Be brave to be wrong. Chaos is part of life. Synergy of life is chaos and learning. That is the synergy of life. And this is the only thing we came to do to this world. To fuck it up and learn from it. Stand proud and embrace the others. When they fuck it up, lift them up and tell them, hey brother, we've been there, time to walk, time to continue. That is what we're doing here. If you find it through, through, your, through your religion, if you find it through helping dogs, cats, if you find it through supporting children, apes, um, sick people, cancer, find your own fight zone. Because there are so many needed. So many needed. So I just wish that whatever is the work that you take, is truly feeling your passions of life so it's not work anymore. And you can be enjoying your spiritual path while you are you, because it's gonna be over. One year, 10 years, 20, 
one day from now, you will not be here. Not this version of you. So make sure you use this avatar in the best way possible for your soul and for our soul. Because in Lakesh, Hanaken, I am another you. Kanga, thank you for helping us look in the mirror. I, I think that's a perfect place for us to leave it off. So, I mean, if you have anything, any practical stuff you'd like for people maybe coming to San Chris, ways of getting a hold of you or important projects that you would like to, to shout out. Sure. Um, I would invite you to be conscious of the situation of San Cristobal de las Casas, that if you visit this land, you understand that we're having a massive struggle with Coca-Cola Company, with Starbucks, with uh, FAMSA, PepsiCo. Uh, we're having a big trouble with the water that we have in terms of pollution. I invite you not to drink Coca-Cola or not to drink CL, C-I-E-L, E-L, water, CL, is branded by Coca-Cola. Uh, it's the supposed only good water you can drink here because it's produced by them. I invite you to open your eyes and treat with love every single person to that comes to offer you food or textiles or anything on the street. People is traditionally very stubborn. It's the way we are. We need to survive. Every person that walks in front of us and we offer our textiles, our products, is a chance for us to eat. What would you do for eating before you reject them? Upset because it's a 10 times in 10 minutes that someone comes to offer you something. Remember this and treat them with love because by the end of the day, these people, especially the children on the street that you should not give money to, especially them, are not needing money. What they need is love. They need attention. And if San Cristobal falls in the next 10 years, it's because of the love we did not give to these children. Because these children now are head-hunted by different groups of power and weapons of this city that will brainwash them to make them killing machines. And then, when these children you rejected for years in the streets, is going to be pointing a gun to your face. What are you going to tell to him? What are going to be your love words for him to feel you? So just remember this, I really love this line. The children that don't receive love in their community will come back later to burn it all so he can feel the heat that was not given to him. Remember this, and remember the children, the dogs, the animals, every single living being that is unfavored in Chiapas and around the world is needing you. And it's not precisely your money, it's your attention, it's your listening, it's your care. By the end of the day, rich as poor are living depression. It's not money what makes us happy, it's the care of others. So give yourself a moment if you come to Chiapas, and please, please, please respect the place that you're going to be in. That was Kanga of Mexico. Met him at the free walking tour in San Cristobal de las Casas. So it just goes to show you really never know who you're going to meet out there. This has been the Elsewhere Podcast. If you enjoyed 
listening today. I encourage you to check out our other episodes. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can do so at Eastvan to Elsewhere. And that is probably the best place to reach out to the show if you have any comments or suggestions for future guests. We are going to play you out now with a song that was requested by Kanga himself. This is Amparanoia with La Fiesta.
las mujeres que somos tan sensibles que estamos aquí esta noche no hay misión imposible prohibido instalarse prohibido aparcarse y prohibido abusar de la mujer nunca por favor gracias seguiré caminando 